1: This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. I'm Mack McDonald with Ralph Sampson.
2: Uh, great guest today, and I think Ralph just did it as a favor. The fact that uh, I've been an Oakland Raider fan since the mid-60s, and so Ralph got out his contact list and said, how about Mike canes? And uh, we've got a, a great visit. Mike Cain, come on, you brought a Raider to the table today. How about you? Well,
3: right, and I didn't really know your, your passion was Raiders, <laughs> you know, being on the East Coast, but uh, it shows, uh, and it'll show in this interview that how passionate you are about the Raiders. But, I mean, there was a silver and black or gold oh, yeah. or whatever that color called. The autumn are, right? wind, so, Ralph. The autumn wind yeah. is a Raiders. The autumn wind, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, but, it, I mean, is it Oakland Raiders or just the Raiders now? Because they're in Vegas, they've been to L.A. Right. You know, um, so anyway, it's Raiders fans all over the world. It's great. Yeah,
2: and they've fallen on hard times right now. But, anyway, I know the, the visit with Mike Haynes will be great because of the stories and what they did and they accomplished. You know, during the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl against Washington, and Mike Keynes had you know such a great game, and there's a lot to you know a lot to talk about um, in regard to that as we approach. Well, I, again, uh, what says what says Thanksgiving more than professional football? And uh, to to hear from Mike Keynes will be you know will be terrific. So when you Ralph, when you were in Oakland. And you were, you became, and you were there, I know, just a short time, but you became part of the fabric there, right? You know, you've talked a lot about baseball and the A's and all. You became part of the fabric, didn't you?
3: Yeah, I did. Because, you know, six, seven years in the uh, NBA and then getting traded from the Houston Rockets to the uh, Golden State Warriors, you get there and the the basketball team sucked, right? I mean, it (laughs) it just was bad, but the baseball team and the Raiders and the Oakland Athletics and, I was a big uh, fan of the Oakland A's with Canseco mm-hmm. and McGuire and Tommy Larusa La- La that was in uh, in, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you saw them win in that city and you had the iconic Oakland Raiders as well. And you know, Mac, you know, I'll call you, who's your greatest Oakland Raiders football player? You go from Howie Long L- and Osledo to Mike Haynes. You got, there's a whole lot of like, them right, iconic. But I, I went to baseball games. I went to football games because the basketball there was so bad. Uh, and I was used to winning in Houston. And, you know, I get to Oakland and I walk in and a guy named Chris Washburn was walking out. Wow. Uh, not going somewhere that we wanted him to go. That Chris it just It was just crazy. And then uh, Chris Mulling did the same thing. And so we had a cast of characters there that uh, wasn't the way I thought basketball was played. And my experiences there in Oakland is totally changed. Now, obviously, was well, there was a place that you did not want to go as a, as a basketball team because of all the things around the city. Ah, good point. going on in Oakland at that point in time. We lost our great John Lucas in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And uh, so forth and so on. But the the, the last year I about Oakland it was my, my daughter Rachel. I uh, get traded and she was you know, due, my ex-wife was due any day, right? So I get traded, like, I got to go back and I'm getting ready to take a trip to Seattle to play and I get the call that she was going to be born. So I skipped that game and went to Houston. So... There are some good things in Oakland for me from a career standpoint, but basketball-wise, it just wasn't fun. Sure. And, but I made it fun because I could go to baseball games and football games and really enjoy the social uh, landscape of the Oakland area. You would have been gone, but a piece of trivia that'll not that will floor
2: you, and I won't go into the details of why, but Cliff Branch came to yes. Charlottesville and was actually the parade marshal for the Dogwood Festival in Charlottesville true story well the autumn wind is a raider he is mike haynes one of the best defensive backs to ever play we'll talk to him when we come back stay with us
4: to get into sportscasting you need experience just to get your foot in the door i can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me how do i get into your business how do i become a sportscaster the first thing i ask is what have you done do you have any experience and the answer is normally nothing yet because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on. With the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sports casting, I don't think, will ever change. And this program brings it all together.
5: We used to intimidate the referees. I dare you to call it. I dare you to call a penalty on me. Um, uh, Lyle Alzado, I'm, I'll never forget this, a, a referee said, Alzado, I saw that. You know, he he hit a guy, you know, punched a guy. Alzado, I saw that. I see that again. I'm throwing you out of here. And he said, you don't have the to throw me out of here.
1: And he didn't (laughs) get thrown out. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift. Empower. Educate. This is Center Court on the Winner's Circle
2: Network. And today, a very special guest. He was selected in the first round in the 76 NFL Draft by the New England Patriots. He had a great rookie year, and then he was picked up by the Raiders in 1982. He was a Super Bowl champion. He is a Hall of Famer. He is the one, the only, Mike Haynes. And with that, Ralph, I will let you do the honors.
3: Well, Mac, you know, once a Raider, always a Raider. I mean, it's one the most, most. Uh, you know, I got traded from Houston to Oakland and understanding the Raider nation when you, you don't really understand it unless you live in Oakland and you understand that I don't care the Raiders in Vegas I don't care if they you know what a new city but there's always Raider nation from Oakland it's, it's deep you know what I'm talking about man. you know the Nation. you know how strong wow. that is.
5: I used to hate the Raiders I used to hate <laughs> them you know because that that nation Raider nation was everywhere. It didn't matter where they played. They always had a big following. And um, uh, and I had a teammate when I was in my second year with the Raiders named Darryl Stingley, who was hit by Jack Tatum.
3: Mm-hmm. And, uh,
5: Jack Tatum was known as a big hitter and everybody wanted to hit like Jack, you know? But when we played him, he hit Stingley and the, the ball was a little bit outside of his reach. And uh, at the last second, he saw Jack coming and he ducked his head. And you know, well, maybe you don't know, Uh, But in football, when you duck that head and you get hit in the head and you're pinching Mm -hmm. a nerve in your back, and that was, uh, you know, that wasn't the right outcome that we wanted. And, you know, um, and Jack, Jack, um, you know, paralyzed one of my teammates and that just solidified. Now I know I don't like him, but that even that injury changed my life because I realized, you know, that could have been me. I could have made that hit on a guy because, you know, it wasn't uh, like he was trying to, uh, you know, do something. That was outlandish. It was kind of like a typical hit. I uh, I learned I learned from that situation to not be critical of other guys when they're when they're getting hit. But uh, but later when I joined the Raiders and Jack Tatum came, we were playing against the Kansas City Chiefs and we were flying from L. A. to Kansas City and Jack was on the plane. I went and sat down with him. I said, "Man, I got to tell you, I used to not like you, Jack." And we had a we had a, a deep conversation and it ended really really well. Uh, and in the end, I ended up really liking Jack Tatum. I thought he was a great guy, uh, great leader. And I loved the way Al Davis treated those former Raiders and, and, uh, and how the fans embraced him as, as well. And we didn't really have that in, in New England, but they have it now, you know, oh, Raiders, yeah. they have it now. And so mm. it's very similar. So I feel really blessed to have played on two great teams that have really great fans.
3: Yeah, well, I I mean, so so I get traded there. You know, Oakland has Seiko, McGuire, and all all the big baseball people, and then the the football just is—you got to go to a football game there, and you got to go to a baseball game there. So I get traded from the Rockets there, and my first game is against uh, the Lakers. Right, I got to play Magic and Kareem. Like Magic Kareem, Raider game or baseball game? So I go in (laughs) after being traded play that game and the next day I go to, a, you know, a Raiders game. It was just, you know, you have, you had no choice because you hear it all the time. Even now I see them in Vegas. I know people that are friends of mine from Oakland that travel from Oakland to Vegas to watch the football games. I right, mean, that's just, a, that's the biggest the nation is. So so might not understand that, but you mentioned Jack Tatum and, you know, back then all the big hits, uh, you know, it was very physical. I mean, I say basketball was very physical when we play, right? We take people's heads off, right? And today's game is not that physical. And I'm sure you can relate to that being in that area of the Raiders and the Steelers, whatever it be. What do you think about today's football when it comes to, I mean, it's protecting the players, I get it more, but I don't think it's as mean as tough as it used to be. Well, no, and and I'm glad it's not. You know, like as as I've gotten older and
5: uh, I get a chance to run into guys who played before me who are older, and I see, you know, like they, they played like when the helmets weren't that yeah. good, uh, when you could get knocked out in a game, go out for five minutes and come right back in and finish the game. Um, and you see what happened to those guys later. I mean, they have all kind of, uh, you know, cognitive issues. Right. Uh, and, and if we can avoid those simply by changing the way we hit, um, then we should change it. Because uh, like I said earlier, I didn't really think I was going to live a lot longer than 60 uh, but now I have a goal of living to be 125 and, and if I'm going to make it and if other guys are going to make it, then we're going to have to change the way we hit. It looks kind of crazy. When you watch a lot of the games, you see these guys come up and you're expecting a big hit and you don't get that because you can't tackle like that anymore. Um, uh, and so I, I've adjusted, you know, I, I realized that I would much rather have a great game and a long life, uh, than the other, than, you know, than the other. And, um, I think it's it's really better for everybody, for the families, as for the, even for the fans, and uh, so the the Raider fans get a chance to have their favorite players around for 50, 60 years, Absolutely. you know, after they retire, and uh, and that's one of the good things about being a Raider fan.
3: Yeah, I was with the great Earl Campbell about three weeks ago at a, at a show, and you know, obviously he's in the wheelchair or whatever. He said, "Big fella, you know." I shouldn't, I shouldn't have gave all those hits because he used to hit people before they hit him. He said, I, I took people yeah. out. So I gave the hits, but I gave too many hits. So, yeah. yeah.
5: Well, no one knew. No one really knew. And and back in the day, it was like that was a sign of being, you know, courageous and brave and, and a bad actor. You know what I'm saying? And, and guys were happy to jump in there and do that. But the outcome, it wasn't really worth it. And, you know, right. you know so... You know, so I'm glad now that even the league has stepped in because there would probably still be guys doing it today. Um, You know, but the league has stepped in and uh, sometimes I don't like the calls that they make because it really looks like that didn't do anything. (laughs) Nobody got hurt and no one was going to get hurt. But but I think that maybe the possibility that someone could have gotten hurt uh, is the reason they threw the flag and penalized the guy. So, uh, so I'm glad. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's better for everybody. It's for, even for the fan. their their favorite players get to
2: play longer. Our guest on center court, Mike Haynes, great Patriot, great Oakland Raider. Mike, you were talking about Al Davis. What made him such a great owner and communicator? Well, he knew the game.
5: That was uh, really surprising. Like, I really didn't know at the time that I, that I joined the Raiders that he had been a coach at USC, had been a mm-hmm. coach now. I didn't know that history. You know, I just thought he was a wealthy guy who owned a team and (laughs) wanted wanted to win. Um, But when I got there, you know, he would watch me practice. He'd watch me backpedal. And then I watched me play bump and run. And then uh, there were times when he'd say, hey, Mike, I noticed that you do this. Why do you do that? I said, well, I'm trying to get on the guy's hip. And he goes, hey, you ever thought about getting on the guy's chest? So (laughs) I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the conversations I had with him. And then when he watched our practices. He knew our offense so well. I, I'll never forget uh, one time Marcus ran a little uh, pass route and then, and Mr. Davis going, Hey, what are you doing? The head football coach had changed the play and missed, and he didn't go, he didn't run it by Mr. Davis, you know, so he didn't know that that was going to happen. And and Marcus said, Hey, I'm just doing what I'm told. And then he said, he talked brought uh, asked the coach to come over and talk to him. That was Mike Shanahan. So, so uh, Mike had a lot of ideas of his own that were really good ideas, but I don't think he ran them by Mr. Davis. All <laughs> but I love that guy. I really loved him. And I, and uh, he cared about the players in a way that was kind of unique, I think. And, uh, you know, after our games, we used to have a big celebration where all the players used to go to a place and eat. They could bring their families. That was unique. When I was on the Patriots, when the game was over, you just go your separate ways. Unless right. you say I'll meet you at the restaurant or something. But the Raiders, we all had this big banquet, and we'd all sit there with our families. We had our own tables. I like my family and uh, you know uh, my friends' family and things like that, and wow. it really brought us together. We were one big unit, and uh, and everybody loved being a Raider in, in 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 that environment.
2: You know, Mike, I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was the branding, uh, the autumn wind, the song, the silver and black. You know, it was just something about the way the Raiders posted you know, signs that said a commitment to excellence, the Kenny Stablers and the Bolitnikovs, and there was always controversy swirling around the, you know, the Raiders camp and the Raiders franchise. Was there something special about wearing the silver and black? Yeah, the colors were special, but the same thing that caught your eye is what caught my eye. If you were one of the great players in the game, when
5: you started to get old or whatever, seemed to get old. You might be in your eighth year. I don't really call that old, right. but you know, Mr. Davis would probably bring you to the Raiders. And so we got a lot of guys on our team that were great players in other places, like the Giants and um, can you know not Kansas City, but other you know a lot of great players from other teams. And he was really, I think, famous for doing that. Uh, And all these guys would want to play because they knew that it wasn't just we weren't just playing a game to get through the season. We were trying to win a championship. And uh, he was focused on that. And everybody he brought to that team was there to help him win a championship. And that's really what I liked. I mean, I didn't really I love football. Don't get me wrong. But I just couldn't play football to get a check. You know, I need to have a I need to have a prize. I'm playing for a championship. I want to be with the greatest players and play on the greatest teams. And I want people to remember me and those teams that I played on. And that was really important to me. And it was really important to him. And I, and I really saw it in a lot of maneuvers they made. Um, you know, I, I, I love I being a Raider mainly for that reason. Uh, and uh, when they sold the Patriots to the, the current owner, he kind of, you know, I think uh, adopted a lot of Al Davis's um, um, behaviors with his team. And I got a chance to meet him. And he told me that the first thing he did once he bought the team was to call Al Davis. So uh, I really think that he picked up on a lot of Al's um, habits uh, and and started working on on trying to do the same kind of thing.
3: Picked off by Haynes intended for Monk. I think like you said, I I think that did typify the whole day. Tight coverage, man-to-man coverage. Wherever he goes, I go. But she comes off. He tries to make the move there. Doesn't do anything to Mike Haynes. He's right there, step for step. Look, step for step with him. Ball goes up. He goes up gets the interception.
1: You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation.
2: Welcome into Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network, a Super Bowl champion, a nine-time pro bowler, a two-time first-team all-pro. He is Mike Haynes, played with the Patriots, uh, with the Oakland Raiders, of course, and and Mike, when you were with the Raiders, you had a couple of really good coaches, Tom Flores and, and Mike Shanahan that you talked about. Was it something about the organization and Al Davis who brought in free agents that always seemed to perform, but also the coaching staffs that you had with Oakland?
5: Absolutely. I, I'd say um, probably the, 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 the best coach. I had a lot of good coaches in my lifetime, but I really enjoyed, and I learned from each and every one of them, but Tom Flores, was the one I, I think I learned the most from, um, at least as a pro. And it, it was a lot of it was because he was really great at taking away pressure. Like I have this philosophy that nobody succeeds under pressure. When they feel the pressure, they don't succeed. Uh, And everybody goes, man, that was a pressure situation. But you ask him, you ask Ralph, he goes, there was no pressure. I just jumped up and (laughs) threw it down. You know know what I mean? There was no pressure there. Because if he feels pressure, then it's different. Like, you know, it's not the same. And so Tom Flores was the best, I think, at at doing that. And I think it's because he played as a quarterback and he probably was always had to deal with pressure. He was always Mm -hmm. in what people would consider pressure situations. And I used to tell people the biggest game I ever played in was not the Super Bowl. It was that AFC championship game to get to the Super Bowl. And like for me, it's like I knew I did not want to feel any pressure. And so when we had practice, that our last practice, Coach Flores, you know, called us all up. And, and uh, he says, well, guys, we had a good week of practice. And uh, you know, we got another big game tomorrow. But hey, we play in a lot of big games. It's, you know, I'll see you at the hotel at six. I'm going, that's it? <laughs> that's it? The hotel at six? That's it? And then uh, later I realized, you know, that was really genius because if he would have gone through, like, we've played all year to get to this point, and, you know, guys have played injured, and been done this and done that to get to this, and he would have made that game the biggest game and such pressure on every single player. He didn't say that. He just, like, said, guys, Whenever anybody plays the Raiders, it's a big game. Every time we suit up and go on the field, that's the biggest game that team might be having for the entire season, you know? And, um, and so I realized, wow, I learned a lesson there. You know, there is something you can do to remove the pressure, you know? Uh, And so Tom was really great at doing that. Uh, And the, the other thing he would do is he would discount a lot of negative things that might happen during the week which would cause maybe a team to blow up. Like, um, I'm not going to mention names, but, I'll, just give you, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. He was a defensive back and one of, my, one of my favorite guys. So he might be late for a meeting or something, you know. Uh, and, um, you know, I know that most coaches would just rip that guy for being late, you know, uh, like, what are you doing? How can you be late? You know, and, but, you know, Tom would say, what are you doing? you know, says, just get here on time. All right. And he didn't make a big deal out of it. I like, wow. You know, because otherwise he would have, he might've been forced to say, I'm benching you. You're not starting, you know, saying stuff like that. And um, it didn't happen. And I just learned an awful lot from him. So glad, you know, recently he was just inducted into the pro football hall of fame. And um, he's one of the guys that really helped me understand pressure more than anybody else. All the other coaches were, they, they didn't really deal with pressure um, the way that Tom did. And I and maybe we would have won more games if they had.
3: Yeah, we would say in the NBA, pressure pressure bust pipes, but it won't bust me because, you know, you, you get so built up. And and then you also base the statement like Flores, and there's these iconic teams. So the Raiders, the Steelers, Miami, the, the iconic team. Yeah. And I think the common thread, even life after sports, I can see it and can feel it when you're talking that, you know, I wake up in the morning. I want to be great that day after just making my bed, right? So not, not every athlete is wired that way. I mean, I used to make my bed up in a hotel room, right? Because i want to be – got to be in order and I want to be the great. So I'm sure you have some of those little things that make you great. What What are some of the things that when you wake up every day, you mentioned, I want to live to 125. So that's in you somewhere. Where did that come from, number one? And what are some of those things you do even today that make you still – a hall of fame person, not just a hall of fame football player. Well, I, you know, like there was always a lot of people just say, Hey, I just want to live. I,
5: I, don't really care about this or care about that. I just want to live. Well, I can't do that. You know, I, I need to have a, I need to have a real reason to live. Right. I need to have a real reason to work out, you right. know? And so like, um, a, as an example, uh, as a pro football player, and even as a college athlete, I was always working out. I was always in great shape. But when I retired, I said, you know, okay, I don't have to work out anymore. I'm not playing football anymore. And I I gained like 25 pounds. Um, I didn't look like I gained 25 pounds. That's the amazing thing. But but I felt like it when I would do different things with my kids and stuff. Uh, I learned that I should have never stopped working out. You know, I should have continued forever. And, uh, And now I'm 68 years old, but I'm in really, really good shape because I really take my uh, living to 125. Seriously, I don't just go there and just sit around and shoot the breeze. I'm working out hard. I'm getting stronger, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to be competing. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I, I feel very blessed to to be around other people who are also interested in in living a healthy life and health and wellness. Uh, and also, I care about I care about my teammates. I, I, um, you know, I the information that I learned about health and wellness, I share it. Um, when I was a prostate cancer um, survivor and, and I found out I had prostate cancer, I became the spokesperson because I felt like most guys out there were just like me. You know, they, they just say, hey, I'm, I'm in good health. I'm not gonna go over there and find out if I'm, you know, have cancer or anything. Like that. if I get it, I get it. But once I was diagnosed with it and it, we found it early, I realized that my way of thinking needed to change. And if if I thought that way, I'm sure there's other guys out there. You do know, you do want to know if you have it in the early stages, when it's easily treatable. You know, you don't want to wait until it's like nothing you can do. This is it, man. You know, you got a year. That's it. No, you want to know when it's easily treatable uh, and, uh, and you can continue to live a long life. So I've already lived
3: almost 14, 15 years past that. And I and like I, I got another 50 to go. And I know we talked about it on our November thing, whatever. But uh, and I know Mac is a, a, a prostate survivor as well. But symptoms to, I mean, Mac said he felt not didn't feel well. Some of yours were. I mean, my dad's went through prostate stuff as well. Had to see the seed and chemo stuff. now, so I understand his health and wellness as well. But for people listening, you know, what is it that you feel? What made you go get checked? You know, at early stage, and what is that about? Well, there were, there were really a lot of symptoms that I had. I
5: didn't know that I was having them. So when people would ask me, did you have any symptoms? I'd, I'd say no. And then after I became the spokesperson and I would talk to other guys that had the disease, I'd, I realized, wow, I guess I did have some of the symptoms. Like one symptom was I'd wake up and go to you know urinate in the middle of the night a lot, you know, several times. Uh, and I didn't know if that was from prostate or from some other health issue because there are other issues like sleep apnea, like you might be waking up all the time in the middle of the night because you're, you know, of sleep apnea, it may not have anything to do with prostate. But the one symptom that I think um, really raised a flag for me, and I hope no one gets offended by what I'm gonna say here, I don't mean it to be that way, is it hurt to have an orgasm. And so it wasn't like I had sex every day of my life and I'm hurting, hurting, hurting. It was. It was, uh, you know, and, but when I did have it, it hurt, it hurt really bad. And, um, I just felt like, well, maybe it's cause it's been a while, you know, <laughs> you know, right. uh, and, uh, uh, and so I didn't, I didn't like rush to the doctor when I had that situation. So when I later was, um, talking to a doctor, he says, yeah, that was a symptom, you know, and, oh, I, I had no idea. Um, and, um, so that was a big one for me. And, and I, because it happened to me, I felt like a lot of guys might do that and have the same kind of a problem. So I started, when I was getting interviewed, I started talking about that and started telling people if, you know, that that could be a, a symptom of prostate cancer and you should go get that checked out. And I can't tell you how many guys have told me that they had the same symptom. Yeah. Um, the, the one where you wake up in the middle of the night is pretty, pretty hard to, to tell because it could be something else. But um, but, you, you know, the best thing is to know your family history, yep, yep. If, if, if you know, it runs in your family, then you're looking out for it. And I, I didn't know it ran in my family. I knew my grandfather died of some kind of cancer, but I didn't know what it was. And when uh, the doctor who uh, who had done my PSA test and everything, when he shared his inform his findings with me. I, I, didn't, I realized I didn't know anything about prostate cancer. I didn't know anything about a lot of health issues as, as I learned afterwards. Uh, and I, I wish that our educational system, um, you know, would help us with those kinds of things so that we could know about our family history. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing that I learned in school that made me think about my health in, uh, in that
0: way. Oakland's 1983 season culminated in Super Bowl 18. In that game, Haynes was instrumental in shutting down a Redskins team that at that time was the highest-scoring team in NFL history. This guy wasted no motion,
3: nothing. Probably the most efficient player, mechanically, that I've ever watched. To me, he's the standard by which all corners are made.
1: You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac.
2: Welcome back to Senate Court on the Winter Circle Network. Our guest, Mike Haynes. The accolades are many. Uh, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in 76. Part of the NFL 75th Anniversary All-Time Team. Uh, New England Patriots number 40 was retired. He's in the Patriots Hall of Fame as well and the NFL Hall of Fame. Mike, we talked about those three words in that Raiders brand, commitment to excellence. Have you carried those words with you post-football career? Well,
5: I, I think I always had it, but I didn't have a, a way of, a, a, you know, a way to frame it. You know, when I started college, I, I started realizing that your mindset was really important. And I started taking like psychology classes and I started reading books on, you know, how to, you know, how to deal with your mindset and how to set goals. And then in my senior year of college, we had these two guys come in and our entire football team went through this program before we went away to training camp. And we learned how to set goals. Uh, and so I was a team captain as a, my senior year with another guy named Jim hiley Our team would go go through different things, and our goal was to go to win every game. We wanted to win every game that year. Uh, and then those guys would come back and say, "You need to be a little bit more specific than that." <laughs> you know, you know, um, the other team wants to win too. You know, you need to be more specific. So. So we said, OK, well, why don't we set a goal as to how many points we're going to score and how many points we're going to keep our opponents from scoring? So as a team captain, I say, hey, offense, how many points do you think you can score? And they would tell me. Mm-hmm. And then, hey, special teams, how many points do you think you can score? And they would tell me, hey, defense, how many points do you mm-hmm. think they, you can score? And they tell me. And so I'd write this down. And I think, I think the goal was like to get 65 points for the game. And uh, we were playing against the University of Pacific. And, um, and the defense, I think they said they were going to get a shutout. You know, <laughs> that, that's my recollection. So it'd be 65 to nothing. I think we had almost 50 points in the first half. The, the thing that what I realized was before, no one was really going down trying to score points. They were going down try, on, on the kickoff team, trying to get the guy inside the twenty. That was their goal. Inside the 20, they achieved their goal. Now, with the goal of scoring, the first guy would hit the guy. The next guy would be pulling on his arms and trying to pull his arms apart so the ball would come out. It just changed everything. And I'm sure in basketball, I'm sure it's the same thing. You know, like if you just say, we're just going to win. But no, but if you say, we're going to score 120 points today, then then everybody's running faster, running harder, making better passes, you know, and everybody's looking for To score, you know, Uh, and that was my introduction to setting goals and in college and seeing exactly what we could do. So, I had set a goal as a junior, I wanted to get 12 interceptions, (laughs) and I got 11. Um, and in the last game against the University of Hawaii, I dropped two interceptions that probably would have been touchdowns because you know, there was the guy ran a quick out and I jumped it and would have been a score, that kind of a thing. But I think because I felt pressure, I didn't succeed. I wasn't able to catch that ball. I just like, I, you know, and I have great hands, but I had put too much pressure on myself. And then the next year as a senior, I, I set a goal to get 15 and I only got three. And so what I realized was my, you know, my goal, I have to be kind of uh, able to control that goal for the most part. I can't set a goal to get 15 interceptions if they don't even throw on my side 15 right. times, you know? So that's not a, a good goal. So I changed my goal to be the best I could be, and I had a bunch of little goals that I would have to achieve on every single play, um, and um, and and I was able to do that. And I only ended up with with three interceptions, but but I achieved my goal. And I realized that I, I needed to stop setting goals with regards to things I couldn't do.
3: Right. Well, I, I so, but at the after I take I'll take it later. So you said, and your senior year only had three interceptions but you also said that the teams wouldn't throw the ball your way right so so they were a little bit scared of you to throw the ball over there in the first place so I think you achieved that goal in a different way right so I would look yeah. at it that way because they mean it's like in college basketball or they would have to play three people on me to stop me period from that standpoint right because I'm going to try to get yeah it. then but then I learned how to dribble the ball to court because I wouldn't get the ball right so yeah <laughs> my coaches didn't like that, whatever, but it was crazy. And they, even in the NBA, you know, we get the ball, they play, whatever. They put a hard guy that can foul you whatever. So I'm going to run down the court. But then they didn't want a seven-footer to dribble the ball because you can't dribble. And now all seven-footers yeah. dribble. So anyway, I, I can feel that energy in you from that perspective because, you know, I'm sure the Raiders and life, whatever. But my question is today, you, you still have that motivation drive. So. Two questions. One, kids that maybe listen to this and, and, and watch this on the show, you said something about goal setting and mindset. What goals and mindset will you give a young kid looking that wants to be like you, that may play football, but also in life that you look back, your, your kids, what have goals have you given them to make them the kids they are today? Well, I, I, I encourage kids to be the best they can be
5: and to have an attitude of continually improving. And so, um, as like I like I said earlier when we first started, when I joined the Raiders, I learned a lot from Lester. That was in my eighth year. I was not only did I learn, I was still trying to learn. I was still looking to learn. I wanted to learn. And so, um, as a defensive back, everybody always, you know, considers that the guy who I'm focused on is that wide receiver and the quarterback. But I actually learned to look at the line as well for little keys i looked i also learned that on certain places and the ball is on certain places in the field they run different plays and there is a reason for running those different plays Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i kept learning i mean i like uh, i was a little coach and like i would imagine someone like say a tom brady he is a coach now he's played so long with this continual improvement type of an attitude he's like a coach on the field now there's There's still things that he can learn, just like there were still things that I learned, even in my last year, I I wanted Mr Davis to let me play safety a little bit, (laughs) instead of corner, because I thought I could help the team even though I was in in my mid 30s. That um, playing the free safety because that guy's like the quarterback of the one of the quarterbacks of the defense, I could help everybody, but Mr Davis didn't didn't go for it.
2: (laughs) That is, that's so good. And and, and Ralph, one of the things I wanted to bring up was the fact that for a number of years now, I have studied Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and the process, you know, the journey, the process, the simple goals each day, one drill at a time, one pass at a time, one play at a time. It has affected sports and athletes. They always talk about my process and how I'm handling the process. In my mind, in listening to Mr. Haynes, is the fact that he invented the process long before Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Well, it, it, it doesn't matter when it happens, but when it
5: happens, you've got it, and you got it for life, and, uh, you know, you can see how, how it's influenced them. So I've actually had a chance to coach. I have, I have six kids, and I got a chance to coach my kids, and, and I've coached sports that I didn't know anything about. <laughs> What's crazy, like like, say, soccer, I didn't know anything about soccer. But because I'm such a high goal setter, I started talking to people who I knew did know something about soccer. I went over to a guy's house and he explained things. And I said, you know what? That's a little bit of what we do in in football. Um, And so, you know, and so there were a lot of different concepts that I could easily transfer to work in other areas. And I use those in other sports. And so, uh, even though I didn't, I never played youth football. I was able to coach successfully and had a lot of good players. Uh, and I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's just really kind of fun when you have a lot of knowledge about something and the real challenge is how do you take that mo- knowledge from your head and transfer it into somebody else's head? It's not always easy. right? You know, but for me, that's a lot of fun to try and work
0: on stuff like that.
3: Now, now was it hard to teach your kids, you know, because I, I gotta be dad and I gotta be coach. I mean, my younger son was left-handed. I tried to shoot, teach him how to shoot. And dad, I'm gonna do it this way. I'm gonna do it this way. So I found another guy that could shoot left-handed in 30 minutes. He was telling the same thing I was telling, but in a different way. You know, fortunately, I have all
5: these guys that I could contact, like James Loft
2: and
3: <laughs> you know, um,
5: other guys, Will Tate, who lives here in San Diego, a whole bunch of guys that I could contact. They could talk to my son. Uh, he could talk about right. the breaking down, you know, at the end of the route and getting your head around and stuff like that, you know, and it kind of co-signed the things that I was trying to teach you.
2: And, Mike, I'm sure somewhere along the line you've been coaching Fortnite and uh, and Call of Duty. Really special stuff, and we just can't thank you enough. Ralph and I are, you know, true Raider fans, me more than Ralph. I get it. You know, you, you battled the prostate cancer, and, and now you're doing well and you're coaching and giving back. You've really been an inspiration to the NFL – and to the community
5: thanks for having me on and and, uh, my last thing I want to say about prostate cancer for folks is know your know your family history if it runs in your family you need to you know talk to your doctor and let him know so that you can start looking for it because if you
2: catch it in the early stages it's easily treatable national football league hall of famer one of the best to ever do it at the defensive back position Mike Haynes the Patriots and of course the Oakland Raiders. Mike, thank you so much for visiting with us today on Center Court.
3: All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thanks so much.
2: A busy couple of months ahead for one Ralph Sampson. We return right after this. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate, it takes teamwork, to make the dream work. Welcome back, Winter Circle Network and Center Court. And uh, But again, a thank you to you. Loved the visit with Mike Haynes. Loved his intensity. I loved, uh, you know, he was just one of those guys, Ralph. He was a winner. You know, he knew how to win. He knew how to compete.
3: Mike, I mean, the whole story and his from some prostate issues to just playing a game. Mm-hmm. You know, when we did this interview and, and 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 spoke with him, it just run chills and up my spine because there's some similarities there as an athlete where you know he, he gained 25 pounds after playing and you know got whatever then got you know, back on his uh game and lost the weight, got in great shape. Now he wants to live to 120 years old. Yeah. So I mean, just that whole whole thing for me was very very real. And uh I think him for just joining us and he's uh, great great guy and you know, good athlete. I mean, he played football and played back. He was a great athlete, basketball, football, et cetera, et cetera, in the story. So I just, those stories I love to hear just because they're real. You know, they're yeah. real. We can talk about stats and how many tackles, but just a person himself is uh, very special to me to hear that.
2: Yeah, I went back and I went back just for fun uh, over the weekend and watched the uh, the Super Bowl with the Redskins, where they just took apart at that time the Washington football team, but took apart the Redskins and Joe Theismann. It was yeah, and Mike Haynes had a couple of picks and he was yeah, he yep. was he was great. So anyway, before we say goodbye, I know you got a lot. Of, you stay busy with the basketball camps and everything. We're busy with Massanutten and what we're doing virtually, but you also have a post Thanksgiving camp coming up, and also a post-Christmas camp coming up. Explain what's going on.
3: Yeah, so, you know, Math nutton has been a great relationship and you got out there hopefully get them on board here in a lot of different ways. But uh, we had a great summer with them. We're doing our virtual camps uh, earlier this year and then we did our eight weeks of camps in their facility there, which was amazing. But we decided to keep it going with more virtual stuff that you can go to samsonbasketballacademy.com and look up. And then after Thanksgiving the 26 and 27, we're having a a two-day camp and then the Christmas camps and New York camps, the 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th. So just continue the, the, the excitement there with uh, Mass Nutton and just continue to work with kids about basketball and life. So that's what we do, and it's fun, and I enjoy it.
2: Terrific stuff. Okay, uh, before we go, Is there any? And I went to your website this week. Are we any closer to uh, opening the doors and and
3: cooking a few cheeseburgers? We get closer every day. Then a couple of days later, we get a couple of hurdles we have to jump through. So I'll keep everybody abreast of that. But Mike, Mike, I tasted, you know, I tasted. So I was up uh, at at three notches over there. So I finally Uh got the final taste of Ralph's House IPA, the beer. So it is available and ready. It'll be out in some other place. I'll let everybody know that. But that's happening. And then we're doing a coffee with uh, Savannah Joes over in Charlottesville. We're doing a coffee called Ralph's House Coffee. So a lot oh, of things awesome. are moving and grooving. It keeps me a little bit busy, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited about you know, what we're doing there.
2: Uh, that's great stuff. All right. Next week, Thanksgiving week, we will talk to that. Also, John Crotty, point guard, will join us from the University of Virginia, now commentator with the Miami Heat. So we have a lot on our plate. Ralph,
1: have a good week. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Mike. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work.